Okay, our verses today are from Matthew 2, 1 through 8, 12, and 16 through 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from, came from the east uh, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the, all the chief priests, chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the last among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all of that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lizzie. Father, we, uh, we come into your presence this morning, and uh, as Jess prayed earlier, we come from a lot of different places, Lord. Some of us are just barely hanging on physically, just from travel and, and time spent with difficult people. Um, Lord, some of us are really encouraged, energized. We're difficult people too, but um, we, we think other people are more difficult. And um, Lord, we, we uh, yeah, some of us are, are very content with the life that you have called us to right now, and some of us are not at all uh, and feel like you have left us. And uh, so wherever we are, Lord, we are yours. You have called us to this place this morning, whether we know you or not, whether we know that you are sovereign over us or not, um, you are. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us what we need. Um, give us what we need more than anything else, which is to be made like you, Jesus, to be uh, conquered by you. Lord, to have your thoughts be our thoughts, to have your loves be our loves, to have your ways be our ways. Lord, would you please do that? And, and Lord, you so often move that needle uh, so slightly and so slowly like uh, water rush, washing over rocks for uh, years and years. And so, Lord, um, we ask that you would come and move the needle in a big way today in our hearts. But um, even if not, Lord, we ask that you would just do your work in your timing and um, let us be at peace with what you say is best. And so, Lord, open our ears to what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we are starting our new series um, on Advent and our new Advent series. Advent is a Latin word that means coming. And this is something, uh, a season in the church calendar that the church has celebrated for years, since at least the, the 400s. And this is a time where we celebrate and prepare for Jesus's coming to us. Um, Jesus's first coming, his being born into the world that we celebrate at Christmas but this is also a time that we, we recognize that we're between Jesus's comings. We are between the advents and we recognize that he will come again. And so as we reflect and prepare for him to come to us as a, a baby in a manger, we're also preparing our hearts 
uh, for him to come to us as a, a king who was going to come back and set everything right. And so part of this recognition that um, Jesus is a king who is coming is that Jesus is alive and Jesus is active in our lives. And so it's true that he is coming universally twice. Um, he has come once to be born and to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. And he is coming again to make all things new um, as, our, as, as the king of everything. Um, but even now he is always coming to us in different ways, through different means, through his word, through his spirit, through the people that he puts in our lives, through the experiences that he allows us to experience. Jesus is always coming to us and we are always in a posture of some form or fashion of receiving him or not receiving him. And so what we're hoping to do in this series, um, we've called this series, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room, uh, a line from Joy to the World. And it's this, this idea that um, every one of us, we are in a place, we are in some kind of posture where we are either able or unable to receive Jesus as he is coming to us now. And so we are going to look at and spend time in the next five weeks and in these different passages to see in Jesus's first coming, um, from five different people's perspectives, their posture toward him. And we're gonna ask him as we do that to help us see ourselves in these people so that um, he can enable us to receive him more um, as he comes to us now. And so uh, this first passage, um, this first perspective is from King Herod. And, um, and so Herod, uh, for those who are, are not familiar. Herod was not Jewish, but he was sort of this governor, or they called him like a client king over Jerusalem, over this territory. Uh, at this time, the time of Jesus' birth, the Roman Empire was in full force. And so it was, it was the Roman Empire that really had the power. And so the Jewish people, God's people were um, in Jerusalem, but that was Roman territory. And so there was a, this client king or this governor over that territory is Herod the Great. And he was appointed by the Romans. And this man was infamous for his tyranny. Just a, a couple selections from, from his uh, greatest hits. When his brother, who was also in government, got too popular, his brother had a little drowning accident uh, that Herod was behind. Um, he wrongly accused two of his own sons of plotting against him and had them strangled. And then his favorite wife, um, he was in a jealous rage um, and accused her of something that she didn't do and had her strangled as well. And so um, Jesus is coming to Herod. Jesus is knocking on his door. Um, and that's what we're going to look at today and see um, as much as we don't want to, to see ourselves in this man. Um, and so th these first few verses of our passage, uh, we just kind of hear what's happening. And so Herod, he, he went by and he was known by this, this title, King of the Jews. And so when he heard from the wise men um, that there was one who was coming who was born King of the Jews, um, that was very threatening news for him. Um, astrology was not allowed in, in God's people, but it was very widely practiced during this time. And it was actually um, kind of a respected science, if you will. And so um, when he heard from these strange men from another place that there were signs in the stars, that there was one who was born king of the Jews, he took that very seriously and that was very threatening to him. And so now all of a sudden with this news, um, he is troubled. And the word troubled here is uh, feelings of anxiety or dismay about something unexpected. And the reason Herod was troubled is because he knew what, what we all know, 
um, and don't enjoy admitting is that despite how I orient my entire life, deep down, I know that I'm not the king. I'm not the king of my family. I'm not the king of my workplace. I'm not the king of my social circles. I'm not the king of my body. I'm not even the king of my own soul. It made me think of Elf this week where um, he confronts the Santa Claus and the, the mall. You sit on a throne of lies. Um, but that's, I mean, that is us. You know, we are, we are always sitting on this throne um, hoping that Jesus doesn't come back so that we can do what we feel like and, and be in charge. And so um, this is threatening news that there is a king who is coming for this throne. And it causes panic, it causes trouble um, for at least two, two specific reasons. One is that um, because I'm not really the king, because Herod was not really the king of the Jews in that way, um, my power, my reign is so fragile. It is so fragile. I can never rest. I'm always watching the throne. And without infinite resources, I'm constantly threatened. Everything is a threat to my throne. Everything is a threat to my false little kingdom that I have because um, I don't have the capacity to be king. I don't have the capacity to defend it. I don't have the capacity to expand my territory. I'm left to depend on my own resources and my own resources are always just not enough. So I'm constantly threatened. I live in a constant state of threat. And two, uh, another reason I'm very threatened, that Herod was very threatened here, um, is that I have actually badly abused my power. So what will the real king do to me when he comes to take his throne back? It made me think of Robin Hood and Prince John um, hearing that King Richard was coming back from the Crusades. It's this terrible, like, gut-wrenching feeling of... I'm about to have to face the one whose throne it is, and, and I have not done very, I've not done good things. I've, I've used this power to continue my own little kingdom and build my own little kingdom uh, and not cared about the cost to other people or what was even right. And so um, when Herod feels troubled, when we feel troubled at those realizations, um, what do you do with those feelings? And the answer is you strategize. And so that in verses four through eight here, um, Herod does something that uh, whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, that we are all very good at doing. He has uh, surrounded himself with an intricate web of relationships, yes, people and systems and ways of doing life that help prop up this notion that, that he is in fact the king that he thinks he is. And that I'm the king that I think I am. And so if, if, if I am the standard, if I'm the epicenter of what it is to be smart or funny or good looking or successful or powerful or good even, be a good guy, then when someone comes into my kingdom and is more than me in those areas, it is very threatening. And there's only two options. That person either needs to be dispatched with and oft, or I need to leave. They need to, they need to leave, or I need to leave. We need to get, they need to get out of my world. Um, they either need to be destroyed, 
or sent away. And so a, a good little um, test for us is wherever I feel um, most threatened, when someone else, like if you find yourself in a social setting and someone enters the room uh, and it makes you feel small, that's a, that's a good indicator of where you feel like you're getting your self-righteousness from. If somebody is better looking than you or smarter than you or they've gone to a better school or they have a better job or whatever it is, or they're funnier or people like them more, um, whatever it is that really gets under your skin and makes you think of a, as many ways as you can to, to tell people and convince other people why that person is actually terrible, um, that's, that's where your kingdom is being threatened. And so um, we cannot tolerate this. We cannot stand this. Herod could not tolerate this. There can only be one king on the throne. And so what Herod does, and this is really important for us to pay attention to as well, he goes to the religious experts. He goes to the word of God through these men. And he says that he wants to discover the king's location so that he can worship him. But that's not why he's discovering the king's location. He wants to discover where the king is so that he can destroy him. So that he can keep this real king far, far away from him. And he says to these wise men, um, you go, you go interact with him. You go find him. You go worship him. And then you come back and give me some intel. You tell me what it's like. You, you've helped me understand what, how I can manipulate and how I can move. And so um, the reason this is important for us to, to think about is there are a lot of ways that we do this too. You know, we can attend... Uh, weekly corporate worship. We can attend small group every week. We can uh, fill our ears and our eyes with um, books about Jesus and podcasts about Jesus and sermons about Jesus. And, and really underneath it all, um, if, if I'm never changing, if, if none of that is ever challenging me, then I'm doing the same thing that Herod was doing. I'm weaponizing the word of God so that I can use it against him. I'm trying to figure out what do I need to know? How do I play this game? How do I navigate to where I can still do what I want and I can be in charge and get through this, this game or this system without you squashing me? How can I be as appearing as close to you as possible to still be far away from you in my heart and do whatever I feel like? And so something, something for us to think about is... Um, those things are obviously not bad things, right? These are things that God's called us to, weekly worship and gathering with his people um, to have conversations over, uh, around the word and to let his word and to let his people influence us. Those are good things. But uh, a, good, a good test of, of health for us is um, moving toward those ways of accessing God that are actually scary to us because we can't control them. And what do I mean by that? Um, well, it's really... It's nice to, to listen to podcasts and read books because there's nobody there talking to me and challenging me. And I can just underline the parts that I like and put down the rest. But the things that really scare me, like getting together with other people and, and opening myself up and allowing other people to speak into my life, I can't control what they say. I can't control what they see. I can't control what God's gonna say to me through them. And even, even prayer. Um, 
prayer of just being silent and me not talking and me not driving this train and, and letting the Lord speak to me and meditating on his word and not saying anything. But it's, it's finding these ways to access him that um, actually kind of scare us because we can't control them. Those are, um, those are probably healthy things for us to do. Those are probably healthy ways for us to engage with him. And so Herod, he, he collects these people, he gets the information he needs, he sends the wise men off. Um, we're not reading the whole, every verse in this passage. Um, part of that reason is because we're gonna look at things from the wise men's perspective next week. Um, but they go, and they go, to, they go to worship the king, and Herod does not. And Herod and his people stay. And they stay threatened, um, and they wait for word back to see if their strategies will accomplish what they, they hope they will accomplish. But um, in the last few verses of our passage, we hear that his strategies have been thwarted. Um, his strategies don't work. And he has been tricked by the wise men. And, uh, and when he discovers, when we discover that our sovereignty has been tampered with, <laughs> there is fury. Um, and there is going to be collateral damage, and there is no collateral damage that is too costly. It is, it is to let my fury explode, and whatever happens, happens. Because, because there's nothing more important than me protecting the throne. But here's the thing. Even at the height, um, what he does is absolutely terrible. Um, he finds out you know, this was a long journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and it was a, a journey for the wise men to get from where they were to Jerusalem and then go to Bethlehem. And so um, Herod's doing the math and figures out, okay, if, if he is in this place, then just to be safe, we need to kill all the adult, not all the adults, we need to kill all of the male babies born within the last two years in this vicinity. And so that's what he has done. And that's what our passage is referencing but even in all this, even though he is a man who is sitting on a throne and he has some power and he has the power to, to commit this infanticide that is so horrendous, even then at the height of his flexing on God, which is what he's doing, um, that's what we're all doing. Whenever we flex on somebody else, we're really flexing on God. When we let our fury out on somebody else because our, our sovereignty is being challenged, that's really us flexing against the Lord. Um, even at the height of that, the rage that is spilling out of him is, is spilling out of this powerlessness. It's total impotence um, because it's all playing into what God has known and what God has intended from the beginning of time. And, and where do I get that? Look at this. He does not have the resources, all the resources that this man has, which is more than you and I and everyone in this room put together. Of all the resources that he has, he cannot compete with this. There is a star. There is a heavenly body that is moving in accord with ancient writings, indicating that there is a king born at a certain time and in a certain place. There's nothing that Herod can do about that. There are prophecies, there are prophecies from hundreds of years before that there is a king, thousands of years before, there is a king, a ruler who is coming who will shepherd all of God's people from the tribe of Judah. Hundreds, thousands of years before Herod is, even draws his first breath, these things are written 
down, they will come to pass. And then people are having dreams. Joseph has a dream. God visits Joseph in a dream and says, hey, take, take your family to Egypt. The wise men are visited in a dream. Hey, don't go back the way that you came. And so, so of all Herod's power, stars, planets, prophecies, dreams, um, he, cannot, he cannot compete with any of this. So even at the height of his flexing, um, he cannot hide, he cannot avoid this coming king who is, is coming to take back the throne that is his. Even the prophecy, um, even what he does to slaughter these, these children, it's like, yeah, that was foretold. I knew you were gonna do that. It's like he cannot get out of this. He cannot get out of this this, it's like he's standing on the track and a train is coming. Um, Paul writes this in Romans 14. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Confess its sin, confess his perfection. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And then Paul does something uh, in Philippians. He takes this uh, same passage that's a quote from Isaiah, this prophecy from Isaiah, and he tells us that Jesus is God. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I want you to hear this, this prophecy from Isaiah 45, where it comes from. I want you to hear it in context. Listen to this. Turn to me, this is God talking to all people. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And then he says, by myself I've sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return void. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So even in the assertion of his good and right authority, the whole reason he's communicating this is he says, turn to me and be saved. There is great, awesome power, but there is great mercy. There's great love. He is a king who is coming and can destroy, um, he, he can do the, the, the Thanos snap and just destroy everything. And so in the face of his enemies though, he doesn't do that. He says, turn to me and be saved, enemies. Those who would sit on my throne, those who, would, who, if they had the ability to, would kill me, would destroy me so that they could pretend to be God for the rest of eternity. I'm talking to those people and saying, turn to me and be saved. That's amazing. For I am God and there is no other. And Paul knows this awesome power and mercy firsthand because Paul was an enemy. Um, he went by the name Saul and it was actually Jesus that changed his, his name, but he was, um, he was a lot like Herod. He was um, in this Jewish elite ruling class that was um, kind of just doing whatever he felt like and bastardizing the things of God. And he was actually having the people who were following Jesus and proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming the good news of, the, of Jesus' coming and, and saving people, um, he was having them murdered and thrown in prison. And instead of just smashing him, Jesus comes to him so gently 
and, and he, he flexes on him enough to get his attention, but then he says, Saul, Saul, um, why are you uh, persecuting me? Is it, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And if you don't know what goads are, it's an agricultural uh, tool that was basically pieces of wood that were sharpened so that if an animal was trying to kick against them and, and refused to go the way they were supposed to go, um, it was very, very painful. And they couldn't destroy them. And Jesus is saying, Paul, like, this is happening. And that's what he's saying to you and to me and to Herod and to everyone who would assert themselves as king on his throne is, hey, that throne, it is made for me. I'm going to come and I'm going to sit on that throne. Please get off the throne and, and worship me and receive life. But if you stay on that throne, it's not going to end well for you. And, and that's the question to ask ourselves. Like, if we are living our lives in any way other than looking to the king and, and asking him how, and submitting our lives to him, and how, how do you want me to live? And submitting our power to him and saying, um, you've given me authority in these places. You've given me these relationships. You've given me these people. How do you want me to lead them? How do you want me to love them? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to use my resources? Um, if we're living in some other way other than that, it's just the, the question that is, is going to Herod is going to us too. Of like, how do you see this ending? Like, like when all of this stops, how do you see this ending? And, and wise people will consider this. Wise people will, will consider that question before the end. But this, I mean, this is amazing, y'all. Like, just the way that, that God comes, the way that Jesus comes, the way that Jesus comes to tyrants and usurpers and rebels and would-be kings um, is, is like a father wrapping his arms around a child throwing a tantrum. It's like, you, you want to destroy me, but you don't have the power to. And instead of destroying you, I am wrapping you up in my arms and saying, I love you. Would you please just let me be king over you and find life? It's not for me to destroy you. It's for me to save you. You're destroying yourself. This is me giving you something you don't have. You don't have life. You don't have abundant life. This is me coming to you in love. The true king of the Jews, the king over all creation, offers even enemies and rebels like us and abusers of power mercy and love. When you lay down your false kingdom to receive Jesus as he chooses to come to you, um, you will receive life. The thing that you are desperately looking for by sitting on that throne and trying to be king or queen um, he will give you for free if you will just submit to him and let him be king. Think about this. If I am not trying to be king, then I don't have a kingdom that can be threatened. Then I don't have to constantly be on alert because I don't have a kingdom to lose because I'm not a king. If I'm not trying to be king, then I'm no longer opposing Jesus, the true king, and I have peace with God, and that's good. 
And if I'm not trying to be the king of the Jews, then I don't have to do what the king of the Jews is supposed to do, which is to come and, and save the world. And that is life. That is abundant life to have the love and the joy and the peace and the freedom that come from that. To let Jesus be the king, the king who would lay his life down, the king who would leave his kingdom, come and, and suffer in our place, in the place of his enemies, to give us life. That's, that is, I don't know that. This world does not know that. No, no one knows that kind of authority. No one knows that kind of love um, apart from this Jesus. And even in knowing this Jesus, and for me, knowing him for two decades now, um, it's still really hard for me to know, know that. Um, I find myself trying to run and jump back up on the throne all the time because it is just really hard for me to believe that that is true because I don't see that anywhere else. I've never experienced that anywhere else. But it is true. And that is abundant life. And so um, he is calling you, he's calling me um, to repent, to give up the throne to the, the conquering king who has come, who is coming all the time to you and I, and who will come again. Father, um, Lord, it is so easy to see this when I'm looking at somebody else's life. It is so easy to read this when I'm thinking about Herod. Um, it is so hard to believe this when I think about my own life. Lord, it, 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 I find myself all the time in a place where I feel threatened and I feel threatened and afraid because I'm, I'm afraid of um, losing something. I'm afraid of being condemned. I'm afraid of being exposed. And Jesus, what you have done, what you have accomplished uh, long before any of us ever drew our first breath takes away all fear. And you invite me to just repent and just to, to let go and confess all the ways that I'm trying to, to be uh, an illegitimate king so that I can be in a position to receive you and to receive the, the good and kind rule of the king. So Lord, would you do that for us today? Lord, would you, would you um, here, here in these moments of silence, Lord, would you please um, just allow us to, uh, to get to a place where we are, we are asking you, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, your kingdom come in this world, in this body of people, in my heart. Would it flow out from me, Lord? Would your loves become my loves? Would your, your ways become my ways? Would your thoughts become my thoughts, Lord? Would you take away all the fear and all the threat that makes me want to lash out, that makes me want to hang on to power at any cost and control and manipulate Father, would you do that for us, Lord? So in, in this space, would you bring to mind the things, the places where we are um, clinging to control, clinging to the throne, and would you lovingly just, as we confess this to you, just pull our fingers off and sit us in your lap as you sit on the throne and remind us that we are your beloved children and we don't have to worry.